Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thursday, the 29th of July. It may actually be Infrastructure Week in Washington, D.C. A bipartisan group of senators have, uh, according to sources, I mean, you know, when I say sources, I'm saying like all the headline media today, have reached an agreement on key points related to a massive quote-unquote infrastructure package. Here's the challenge you're going to face um, when you look at the details. Probably about a trillion dollar package about half of which is money for new federal investments in America's actual infrastructure. So, you know, the devil's always in the details. And so we will keep an eye on what actually ends up in the infrastructure deal. But there is expected to be an infrastructure deal, uh, and the Senate is likely to, um, to vote on that, I think, today, maybe tomorrow. There you go. It's going to happen quick. Uh, why? Because they, they want to go on vacation. So, you know, it's always a big motivator to get a lot of work done the day before you go on vacation. I got a couple of international headlines uh, to make you aware of. And, you know, when I do this, so much of um, our international attention is often focused on what is happening um, or what these headlines mean for our brothers and sisters in Christ in particular cases or particular locations But it's also of concern just in terms of praying the headline news of the day around the globe and being aware of what's happening in the world, because the world is, you know, frankly, really small. I mean, we it's big. It's the biggest thing we've got, but it's also really small. It is a small world after all. Chinese officials have been meeting with leadership of the Taliban. There is this... uh, Strengthening relationship between Beijing and the Islamist group known as the Taliban, which is now basically taking control of major portions of Afghanistan as the United States and others withdraw uh, forces from that nation. So the Chinese foreign minister has described the Taliban as an important military and political force. China expects the Taliban to play a significant role in Afghanistan's, quote, peace, reconciliation, and reconstruction process. The Taliban's influence, as we have discussed, has rapidly expanded as the United States uh, ends its military withdrawal from that country. Fears are on the rise. Uh, More instability and violence are happening every single day. China has some very specific interests here. There is a thing called the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, And uh, China definitely has designs to see that China-Pakistan economic corridor extend into Afghanistan. And so, um, you know, where the United States and others like us withdraw, uh, someone's going to fill the void. And in this case, it's going to it looks like it's going to be China aligned with the Taliban. To our south, let's take a quick look at what's happening in Cuba 
Um, you, you remember there have been these historic protests over the past few weeks. Well, now the Cuban uh, people who were involved in those protests, some of whom did something like take pictures of the demonstrators and share them with uh, those of us who live overseas, they are now uh, facing mass trials, not the kind of trial that you might expect to face here in the United States if you participated in a protest, you know, where there would be some due process and where there would be um, a a court of law that would actually hear your case. Uh, Instead, some 700 Cuban individuals who were detained during the riots are now experiencing what are called um, mass trials, which means, you know, obviously you're not getting individual due process of any kind. Um, and they are getting very heavy prison sentences, which means something different in Cuba than it means here in the United States. So concern for individuals there as well. Ben Johnson is waiting in the wings. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. He's also the rights writer. And we're going to take up a number of rights headlines next. Joining me now, Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. He's also um, what I like to call the rights writer, calls himself that as well. So we're going to take up a number of rights conversations and questions across the country today. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you as always, Carmen. Thank you, sir. All right. So we know the name Jack Phillips. We know the name Baronel Stutzman. Um, Maybe there are people listening who have not yet heard the name Lori Smith, but Lori Smith is now uh, going to be, I think, the, uh, the face and the name of the religious freedom conversation across the country. Why so? Uh, she's going to be one of many. You, you mentioned those other two, and she's uh, very much in the same boat. Uh, she's a web designer, Christian web designer in the state of Colorado, and she's been ordered by uh, the court to design a website for same-sex marriages. Uh, there was a three-judge panel in the Tenth uh, Circuit Court uh, where she was appealing this law, and uh, two of the three judges agreed that she had to, under state law, design a website for same-sex marriages. Uh, Now, this is, of course, under the Anti-Discrimination Act. That's the same act that Colorado used to prosecute Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, all the way to the Supreme Court. You know, of course, originally he refused to make a a wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. And then after uh, Phillips was cleared on that, uh, the state actually dragged him back into court because he refused to make a cake celebrating a transgender person's gender transition. Uh, So that's, you know, this is revenge. It's animus. Uh, but it inverts America's constitutional order. The Constitution's first freedom is freedom of religion. That's enshrined in the First Amendment. There's no unalienable right to have someone bake your cake or arrange your flowers or design your website, especially when that violates their religious beliefs. Uh, So right now there's this patchwork of lower court rulings on this situation. The Supreme Court, of course, recently just sidestepped this issue a little earlier this month because they did not hear Baronel Stutzman's case. She was the Christian florist in Washington state who's been prosecuted for uh, refusing to participate in a same-sex ceremony herself. So uh, 
until the Supreme Court takes this up, uh, you're going to have conflicting rulings, you're going to have confusion, and uh, Christian business owners are going to continue to pay the price for following their conscience. It's a particularly troubling development, um, maybe not hugely surprising, but very, very troubling. And and no matter where you live across the country, you need to know what's happening at the state level um, in your state in relationship to these quote unquote anti-discrimination laws. And um, and you need to be talking to your members of, of Congress there in your own state, state legislators, I guess I should say. Um, all right. Let's uh, we, we talked with. Um, a representative from InterVarsity uh, about their court victory in Iowa. But tell us what is happening in terms of Christian organizations or Christian groups on campus. Yeah, luckily, uh, InterVarsity, as you mentioned, had a victory. So they did very well. Uh, this this was uh, just uh, this month at the University of Iowa. On the other hand, uh, there's a situation that's been unfolding over in Arizona at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Uh, the name of the university, um, perhaps a little bit obscure, but it's a Christian group on campus there called Campus Christian Fellowship. And uh, the university requires that groups allow anyone on campus to be a member. So they said, sure, anyone can be a member, whether you're a believer or not a believer, you can join the fellowship. But if you want to be a leader, then you have to be a Christian as well. Uh, the university said, this is discrimination. <laughs> the, the administrators sent out an email. Uh, one, the actual wording of the email says, and I quote, when you begin to deny membership or officer positions based on biblical lifestyle, you're crossing a line into discrimination. So uh, they, they've said, in order, you should allow anyone, whether they're a believer or not, to be the leader of a Christian group. Uh, it sounds a little unreasonable because it certainly is. But uh, the university said that uh, this is discrimination, and they basically put the group on probation on and off for several years. And this is just blatant discrimination that denies Christians equal access to student spaces, which they pay for with their own tuition dollars. In many cases, we pay that. We help uh, lower that tuition to a certain degree uh, because we pay for it with our tax dollars. These universities are teaching Christians uh, that they are second-class citizens, so that's the negative side of it. On the other hand, uh, you know, I always like to look for the, the positive side of these kinds of stories. Uh, we always have to stand with Christians who are standing up for their faith, especially when that brings adversity. And in that case, these universities are teaching Christians how to be leaders. We know from the Book of Romans, tribulation works patience, and patience creates experience. And that brings hope. These young people are getting a first-class education in how to stand up for their freedom, and for hours. Ben Johnson and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a church that has prevailed in an abortion mandate case. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, the rights writer. Ben, before we uh, jump to this next conversation about churches prevailing uh, in abortion mandates or against abortion mandates in their states, let me address a a question raised by a member of the listening community this morning. Um, The question is, how could I help an on-campus group uh, at a campus near me? Okay, so here are a couple of thoughts. If you're an alumni of an, of an institution of any kind, you have um, particular power 
And if you are a faculty member, you have real, uh, real power. And so sometimes these campus groups just need an alumni or a faculty sponsor to help them gain registration uh, on their campus. You can also go and just be alongside them, let's say on days when they are um, at a at a campus wide event where, you know, there's lots of uh, like a like a ministry fair at your church or a mission fair at your church. College campuses have these like registration day events where every group on campus has an opportunity to sort of engage students passing by in particular areas. Um, You could go and stand alongside them in the midst of that because those are sometimes very uncomfortable environments for Christians on campuses today. So there's a a couple of thoughts related to that. All right, Ben, take um, take us into a state where there is a requirement that um, churches not only provide medical insurance or health insurance for their employees, but that abortion services be included in that coverage. Yeah, that is exactly the focus of these two of this uh, lawsuit. There are four churches out on the West Coast in California and in Washington State. And they say that they don't believe in abortion. They they would not uh, even really employ someone uh, if they were in favor of abortion. And yet they have to pay for someone's abortion through uh, through their insurance coverage. So uh, they say that's not right. They shouldn't be compelled to do that. Uh, they believe that abortion is a sin, and their money shouldn't be forced to uh, uh, to use to be used for that purpose. Should one of their employees use it for that uh, for that reason? So uh, the case had originally been thrown out, but uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that the lawsuit can go forward. So uh, it it was something that had been ruled uh, that uh, they didn't have the ability to appeal this. Now they have the ability to go forward and have their day in court. So it's not a final victory. It's something of a preliminary victory, but at least they get to contest this. And they could very well come out uh, in their favor. They have had... uh, uh, positive uh, uh, precursors to this in other courts uh, around the country. So that's very positive. I, I think one of the things this shows us is what, what really sort of um, was interesting to me is where this is taking place. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is the U.S. Appeals Court uh, out on the West Coast. Legal scholars used to call it the Ninth Circus <laughs> because if there was any bizarre legal theory, it was going to start in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, so that's really changed. You know, President Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell went a long way toward remaking that uh, from a, really an extreme judicial activist court into more of a mainstream legal body. Uh, so that, that uh, is a major step forward for what had been uh, probably the most uh, forthright judicial activist courts uh, in the entire country. And, of course, uh, the other thing is just the injustice of it all, obviously. The right to life is the most important human right. Without it, all other rights are meaningless. And nobody should uh, be able to take another human life without due process of the law. I believe it's unconstitutional for that reason under the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments. But at a minimum, no one should have to fund abortions against their will. Uh, There's nothing pro-choice about forced abortion funding. I'm glad that these churches are standing up for the inalienable right to life because all life is created in God's image. Amen. I mean, I think that's the right reminder um, for each of us and all of us as we engage in this particular conversation of the day. Um, so we are uh, we're actually going to have an extended conversation next week uh, related to this next story. But I want to give you an opportunity to um, to bring it into our consideration as well. We've had. Uh, 
churches across Canada being uh, being burned. And your piece at dailywire.com, Where's the Media? Um, why don't you tell folks what's happening for people who have no idea that this is going on because the mainstream media isn't covering it. This is not the angle of the story they are choosing to cover. Yeah, and uh, I greatly appreciate that. Um, what's what's going on in Canada is tragic, um, and your your guest also just sort of set the stage so they can get a lot more of the uh, flavor and context from uh, from your guest here coming up. But uh, what's uh, what's happening there? There was a terrible tragedy where Indigenous children were sent to residential schools that were run primarily by the Catholic or the Anglican Church, and uh, they were supposed to learn English and job skills and things of that sort. That was the intention. In many cases, though, and this is from the 1880s, really they were mostly shut down in the 70s. Technically, uh, one was still in operation until 1996. But uh, a lot of the children that were abused uh, when there were disease outbreaks, many of them died, about 4,000 died. Uh, And recently they've discovered the bodies of a lot of the children who were buried at these sites. Uh, The government knew about it. This isn't news. But uh, when the media reported it, they reported, uh, in some cases, inaccurately, but uh, they, they actually exaggerated what is already a terrible tragedy. And there's been a great backlash against all Christians in Canada as a result. So at least 45 churches have been vandalized. Ten have been uh, the victims of arson since June 21st. Some of the churches were burned completely to the ground. And in many cases, these are churches that obviously had nothing to do with residential schools. Uh, there was one, a church of Vietnamese refugees who were fleeing communism, and they came to Canada, and the pastor there says he doesn't know if it's safe to be in Canada compared to Vietnam, because the Vietnamese communists never burned down their church. They would persecute them, uh, but they wouldn't burn down the church, uh, which is, of course, no recommendation for what's going on, fending the flames of, of hatred in our, in our area. So, uh, And then in another case, there's a Coptic church, which is the Egyptian Christians, who, of course, have been persecuted in many cases by the Muslim Brotherhood and other forces in the Middle East. So uh, these are people who have suffered for their faith. They came to the West looking for freedom, and they're having the exact same kind of hatred and persecution here in the West, uh, in part because the media have fanned up this uh, animus against all Christians on the basis of something that happened long ago that these people had nothing to do with. Uh, what happened was tragic. It shouldn't have happened, and it shouldn't be forgotten. It should be remembered. But then again, the people who are guilty of the sin should bear the consequence of the sin. That's what the book of Ezekiel says, that the sins of the fathers will not be requited of the sons, and the sons of the, uh, the sins of the sons will not be requited upon the fathers. But the soul that sins, that's the soul that will be punished. And uh, those who have done this have already been accountable. They've been held accountable in many cases because they've met their maker. Uh, The other people who are involved in this are simply trying to bring hope and light and life to people. And uh, they're being persecuted for that. They need our prayers. Ben, we have a a member of the listening community who is asking a follow-up question um, to a conversation that we just had a moment ago. And that I think this gets back to the initial conversation about Lori Smith or, um, you know, conversations about vendors, owners of businesses who are really targeted in these lawsuits um, brought by advocates of LGBTQ um, individuals. Um, And this person is asking, are other religious people, let's say people who are Jewish or Muslim, are they taken to court in the same way? 
um, by LGBTQ activists? Not to my knowledge. Um, usually not to the same extent. Uh, however, there, there have been, for example, I know of Orthodox uh, Jewish people who uh, have been engaged in uh, so-called conversion therapy, which is to mm. say reparative therapy. And uh, in many cases, they've been taken to the court because they've helped people escape unwanted same-sex attraction. Uh, so it's it's not simply exclusive to Christians, although uh, Christians are certainly, the, of course, the largest religion in the United States, so it's, it would make sense we are the, the largest number of cases. But uh, there are violations of plenty going around. Uh, but yeah, generally, these, these lawsuits have targeted Christians and particularly evangelical Christian business owners. Uh, and as you said, in many cases, it's, it's a case of people going uh, someplace where they know they'll be rejected in order to trigger this kind of a lawsuit, uh, where they have many other options, where the person would be glad to have their business and would do it. It's a form of driving Christians out of uh, the marketplace, whether the person's Christian or Jewish or whatever the person's faith is, the person should be able to exercise their faith responsibly uh, in a manner consistent with uh, the Constitution, and uh, there should be no interference. Uh, we need the Supreme Court to step in here and underline what it says in the First Amendment, that Congress shall make no law uh, respecting uh, the exercise of religion. It should not abridge or in any way harm our opportunity to uh, live out our faith and live in the public square. All right, and I'm sure there are other sites that you could visit, but ADF Legal, um, which is the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF Legal, and Beckett, which you can find at beckettlaw.org. Beckett is B-E-C-K-E-T, beckettlaw.org. Those are a couple of sites you could check out for all kinds of roundups related to um, religious liberty cases across the country. Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can follow Ben, what he's writing at dailywire.com. You can also find him at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. Good morning, David, in Ellington, Connecticut. Thank you for your text this morning. Always good to hear from our friends in the Hartford listening area. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yeah, the East Coast, they're up and they're they're working. All right, um, as you know, cases of the coronavirus are surging in the United States. Companies including Netflix, states including New York, requiring COVID vaccinations, Google looking to do the same, universities as well. School districts rethinking their plans for coming back to school in the fall. Uh, scheduled here for August the 9th, by the way, which is like right around the corner. Um, we're going to catch up on all things COVID with Dr. Zach Jenkins. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ever slapped a punishment on your kid because you were mad? Ever reacted to the situation before thinking? If you're like me, you can answer yes. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Spur of the moment discipline isn't the wisest parenting move. It may make us feel better when our 15-year-old really messed up, but it doesn't really build long-term positive lessons for kids. Popping off under pressure is generally counterproductive. Instead, set rules and consequences beforehand, making sure they're in line with what you believe. Then when things get heated and tense, you'll already have the details laid out. So next time, count to 10 and let your plan unfold. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at parentingtodaysteens.org. 
or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. back again good morning good morning good morning um all right so um as we start here remind everybody quickly of your credentials to be talking about um the coronavirus and the surge in cases across the country why are we talking to you zach uh so i am a clinical specialist in infectious diseases uh with the hospital system and then i'm also an associate professor of pharmacy practice at cedarville university Thank you, sir. All right. The Delta variant. We hear um, this language a lot. It is now, as I understand, the dominant variant around the world and certainly um, tearing through the unvaccinated population in the United States. So what is what is happening and what is so unique about the Delta variant um, that, I, you know, it does have at least all of the media exercised, if not everybody else? So we've had a few different mutants that have been circulating for a while now, and, and the name changes ha- have all kind of occurred to, which I think is really uh, adding it to a little bit of confusion. At first, we were referring to them by location. Then we started shifting to things like alpha, beta, gamma, and now delta. Um, the big difference with delta compared to the other um, variants in question is that it has two different mutations on its spike, ro- spike protein. All the other variants had a single mutation. So the challenge that presents us is we now have a moving target when it comes to trying to maintain the efficacy of our vaccines or even natural immunity. The more mutations that occur, the less likely antibodies can recognize any virus. That's the problem we suffer when we talk about the flu every year, for example. Um, The other concerning thing about the Delta variant is that it does cause more blood clots. It is more transmissible. And there does seem to see seem to be some association with higher levels of mortality. Okay, so the the highly contagious or more transmissible part, and the fact that even those who are vaccinated, some people are seeing what are called these breakthrough cases. I would love for you to define that for us and maybe explain to people why that's happening. So breakthrough cases is actually a really important thing to define um, for a few reasons. So I I believe the way that the federal government is approaching defining that right now is a case that occurs really in anyone, um, regardless of how serious it is, if they have have been uh, fully vaccinated. The trouble there is um, you could be very mild. And we know that these that people that have been vaccinated actually have a uh, reduced reaction to a lot of the viruses. But the other way people are also defining breakthrough cases, and this is where you get into a bit of a semantic discussion, is people are saying, okay, well, is it really a breakthrough if it's you know, just mild, or is it more of a breakthrough if it causes hospitalization or death? So that's the ongoing discussion that's happening right now. We are seeing a bit of an uptick in cases that are breaking through by the uh, federal government's approach to defining this. Um, We haven't really seen that translate directly into hospitalizations and deaths and and vaccinated individuals. Okay, so now let's talk about um, vaccinated individuals. Um, So someone who has received, you know, both doses of Pfizer or Moderna or the one dose, the one 
mm-hmm. one dose J and J. Hopefully, I have those right. Um, mm-hmm. ha- those individuals have been led to believe they don't need to wear masks. They can really operate freely, and they will be quote unquote. I, I mean, immune immune is not the right response. Uh, maybe not the right way to say that, but will my immune system would be triggered to respond should I be exposed to the coronavirus because I am vaccinated. Um, so first of all, do I understand those things correctly? And why would I still be susceptible to the Delta variant or potentially susceptible to the to the Delta variant, even if I am fully vaccinated? So so you're you're definitely right right on track there. Basically, the vaccines are going the, their greatest effect is reducing the severity of illness um, and, and likelihood of death. And the data has been very, very strong on, on all those vaccines for a long time even in the setting of these variants. What we're seeing, though, is as far as transmission goes and just mild infections go, these vaccines are starting to lose effect when it comes to the Delta variant. Now, they still work to some degree, but again, their overall effectiveness of preventing transmission is decreasing. So they're good at severe infection, losing some efficacy when it comes to transmission. Uh, We're seeing the exact same thing with natural immunity with Delta. There's a study that was published in Nature where they actually looked at all the variants and they looked at the vaccines and really saw that that decrease across the board. Um, so we're kind of fighting a moving target, and Delta is probably not the last mutant that we're going to see, especially as the virus gets to transmit more between people, has the ability to spin out more mutants. Every time, like, I'm just going to confess, like I'm like a I'm like a sixth grader every time you say the word mutant, but I'll just I'll I'll leave that stand. <laughs> I mean, I just am. I my yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. So, uh, in the midst of all of this, Pfizer is, of course, talking about a booster because if if I've if I'm recognizing that there's a loss of efficacy over time of the vaccine, then I want to figure out when to give a booster and what kind of booster to give. I guess I'm thinking there um, that there are other things uh, over time that we get booster shots related to. Um, maybe you could just remind people about that so that when we start talking about booster shots related to this, it doesn't seem quite so odd. Right. So so typically when we're exposed to something um, that, that is going to give us an infection and we develop an immunity, that immunity uh, can last varying lengths of time. So sometimes it will be more short-lived versus long-lived. A lot of it has to do with how fast the virus in, questions can, virus in question can modify itself. The other thing also has to do with the fact that sometimes your body has a harder time remembering how to make antibodies and generate an overall immune response. Just depends on what we're talking about. When it comes to the the Delta variant and coronavirus in general, um, we have seen that there is some there's a good presence of memory cells in, in your your bone that will actually help to make antibodies against these things for quite a while. But the thought behind a booster shot is that you can basically increase your levels. So the drop off of when these things become less effective is going to be further out. We're now reaching a point where people have had vaccines in some cases uh, really since last December, especially those who are being studied. So for those people, they're starting to see some of that immunity wane. Um, The thought behind the boosters are going to push that back up to help a little bit. And that, that's different than from the people that are also possibly going to look at getting an updated vaccine against these emerging variants. All right. 
um, I guess, you know, one of the things I was thinking about there was that, like, I get a tetanus shot every 10 years. Do I do that because my body loses its sense of what that is and how to figure it out? I mean, like, right, I, I guess I was trying to find a parallel for people who are... Mm-hmm. Um, responding to this conversation about boosters in a really negative way, I was trying to think of, hey, don't I get a tetanus booster every 10 years, or is that not what that's called? No, no, that, that is definitely called a booster for sure. Um, the virus, in, in the case of tetanus, doesn't change a lot. But what do, does happen is your body's memory of how to deal with it does decline over time. All right. And I live in a place with lots of rusty things. Okay. So uh, Dr. Zach Jenkins and I are going to be back in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about the emerging conversation related to mask mandates, at least remasking conversations. We're also going to talk about going back to school. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Dr. Zach Jenkins and I are continuing our conversation about all things COVID this morning. Um, all right, so here's a flurry of questions related to COVID and this new um, surge we're seeing in cases across the country. Questions related to going back to work, back to school, back to church, back to normal, back to masking, back to social distancing. Everybody wants to move forward. We don't want to move back. Um, and so talk with us about what you see on the immediate horizon and maybe the longer term horizon related to conversations specifically, let's just target school. Yeah. uh, Schools are really all over the board and and quite frankly, a bit of a mess when it comes to this. And and there are a few reasons for it. Um, Really the CDC, you know, coming out with some of their statements about masks and, and vaccinated folks now that's presented some challenges. And then when you layer the fact that, a lot of students don't have access to a vaccine uh, due to their age and won't have access to a vaccine. That is another. Well, or their or their problem. parents don't want them to be vaccinated. Well, that's a good portion of people too, right? So if you look at the ones who can be, those between the ages of twelve and eighteen, uh, about a quarter of them have have been fully vaccinated, and a lot of them have parents that don't want them to be vaccinated. So the the challenge that I think that that is presenting for school systems and school districts is they're trying to figure out, well, how do we approach the fall, especially with the rising cases, the guidance that's out there. You also have teachers organizations that are coming out either for or against things like masking and distancing. And that can be either with or in contrast, uh, local health departments and district information that's coming out. So I don't know if anyone has a streamlined answer to this process yet. Give you a local example. My wife teaches third grade and her school district has still delayed what they're going to do. Mm. Um, They're putting it off for a a whole nother week before they make a decision. I think a lot of it is they're waiting to see if there's guidance from the state. And a lot of states have not come out fully in support of that. You have about seven states, though, that have actually said there will be no mask mandates, period. So there's a lot of contention. Yeah, the um, the difference between the places where there will be absolutely no mask mandates, that they will be foreboden, and then states where um, not only are masks going to be remandated, are being remandated um, in any state facility, um, in any government facility, which obviously would include schools, mm-hmm. and then those states that are even going a step further and 
doing, uh, you know, requiring vaccines for those who want to not be subjected to weekly testing. And so I do think that there, you know, I think that's the language that we're going to start hearing. Um, Fully vaccinated people uh, are going to be asked to wear masks. That's already that's already happening. I mean, in terms of the conversation across the country. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that the testing component of this that's coming back you know, people aren't going to be, want to be subjected to weekly testing at work or at school or have their children subjected to weekly testing at school. Um, and so, you know, I, it seems to me there will be an increased push toward becoming vaccinated. I, I believe that you're quite accurate when you say it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, unless the testing goes in the direction of what um, one group of people is working on, which is having these dogs they're they're training these dogs to actually sniff out, sniff out COVID. COVID. Yep. And so um, I'm I'm for that. Bring on the dogs. Bring on the dogs who can sniff out COVID, so that out. people are not sticking that thing up my nose anymore. Okay. Um. All right. So the, I think the question for it comes down to this for most people listening right now to get the vaccine or to not get the vaccine. That is the question, and it is an issue of trust. So lots of conversations out there about if and when full FDA approval might come, in some cases for some vaccines as early as September. Um, there's a little bit of I don't think that's going to change people's minds in in at least the people who I know who are choosing not to be vaccinated. I'm not sure that is going to be compelling to them. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, dichotomy of what's going on out there. You have people that have concerns um, whether they trust trust the system, they trust the product, and that, that sort of thing. And that's something I guess we can kind of expect. But you also have people, you know, for example, in, in Idaho, I've heard of people that uh, I, I had a colleague out there who, who said that there are people that won't uh, pursue a vaccine because they don't want to support um, the efforts of a certain political figure right now, mm. even though they have said publicly that they believe that this works. So you, you've got a varying array of opinions out there, and the problem that that's going to present, I think, is we're going to start running into this issue where people are pushing as hard as, as you've already alluded. That's not going to go away. Employer, employers are going to head that way. You know, in healthcare, we have long required vaccinations in a lot of, a lot of locations, um, but we probably are going to be pushing forward in the next couple of months to requiring vaccines in healthcare facilities for for healthcare workers, um, this, that'll especially be true once that one of the vaccines becomes FDA approved. All right, uh, it's it, there's so many um, storylines along this front. Zach, thank you as always for helping us uh, sort through them and understand better each and every thread. Uh, it's a delight to reconnect with you. Um, although I regret that. You know, COVID is spiking again, and that's why you're back. <laughs> right. I, I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, this will be more short-lived. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins. You can find him at Cedarville University. And along with Zach, let us be lifting up all of our uh, frontline healthcare workers as they are the ones who are certainly um, uh, facing the challenge of helping Americans who uh, are now suffering anew with this Delta variant of the coronavirus. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
All right, let me lift up a couple of prayer concerns here at the bottom of the first hour today. First of all, our friend Matthew Hawkins, who has uh, been joining us on Friday mornings for a long period of time to talk about religious liberty concerns uh, across the country and around the world. Um, He is having open heart surgery like right now. Um, or maybe like 35 minutes from now, not exactly sure, but sometime between 7 and 7.30 Central this morning. Um, He literally goes under the knife. And so let's be praying for Matt and his wife, his daughter, their family, the surgeons, um, God's sovereignty and goodness. God is the great physician to care for um, our friend. Let's also be praying today for the tennis family. The tennis family own um, something called the Country Mills farm in uh, in Michigan. And somebody um, some time ago got on the Country Mills Farm Facebook page and asked the tennis family, you know, about their what are your beliefs about marriage? Now, let me just say that's a total setup these days. If somebody on social media who you don't know is asking you um, to publicly disclose your views about identity, sexuality or marriage, let me just go ahead and tell you that's not a real question. That is a setup. Um, The tennis family uh, took the bait. They gave an honest answer. They gave what for them is the Catholic answer. They shared what the Bible says about marriage. They talked about a sacred union between a man and a woman. They never occurred to them that uh, the whole thing might be a setup. The city of East Lansing, some 22 miles away from them, was um, made aware of the way that the tennis family responded on their own Facebook page, Country Mill Farms Facebook page, and the city of East Lansing decided they were going to ban Country Mills Farm from the farmer's market, um, which has real consequences for this family. And so that case is now being heard in federal court. So let's be literally today, like right now, let's be praying for the tennis family and those representing them. Let's be praying for Matthew Hawkins um, right now in open heart surgery. Let's be praying for others who we know and who are a part of this listening community, this Mornings with Carmen community. Let's be praying for each other today. Just lift each other up today. Um, God knows our needs and each and every one is precious to him. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.